0: Two wrongs don't make a right, but three leftists do. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to the Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 295, it is August 18th, 2022. And today, we will be talking a little bit about how it's really true. Two wrongs do not make a right, but somehow... Leftists think that if they have a majority, if they have a majority, all of a sudden their wrongs make rights. And it's a it's a very clever moral argument. Uh, It's a moral argument that is arguing for immorality uh, in the name of fairness, in the name of equity that essentially bludgeons people through the, the rule of the majority to make wrong things and labeling, labeling them right uh, is pervasive among leftist ideology, postmodern ideology, and it, it comes back to what we so frequently talk about on the show, which is postmodernism. It is the, the, the belief, the idea that there is no truth. It's the belief and the idea that morality is just a bunch of different shades of gray, that there is no such thing as God, that that religion is a thing of the past, that religion, that that mankind has evolved beyond a, a moral code that has been given to us by our creator. Well, the way that this is manifesting itself right now in global politics specifically uh, american politics we've stayed away from it on on the show a little bit is is the the, the Donald Trump fiasco that continues it started with russia 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 gate and all through his presidency and even now it, it the, the attacks on former president Donald Trump never seems to stop We haven't really talked at depth or length about it because there's really not much to talk about. In my opinion, we know that his estate was raided. We know that the, the, the warrant is being released and that they took a bunch of documents and there's a bunch of sayings of, oh, maybe he had espionage. He had documents that was taken from the white house. It doesn't seem clear to me. What will actually come of this if this is just another ruse or if there's actual criminal uh, criminal activity that President Donald Trump uh, associated himself with? But with within this and both sides, both sides of the aisle, whether you're on the conservative side or whether you're on the uh, progressive side, we can all fall into this, which is believing that someone is guilty based on their Ideological, their philosoph- philosophical their their uh, their political standings, their political beliefs. Now, th- this is essentially saying that you are guilty until you are proven innocent, and this is a worldview that is pervasive among much of the world, that you are guilty until you're proven innocent, and in postmodernism, in Marxism. That is a common belief. And the reason that there's a common belief is because there is no such thing as guilt or innocence, right or wrong in postmodernism, because it's all, everything's relative. All morality is relative. And so because of that, everyone is guilty, as as Goebbels would say, show me the man and I will find you the crime, that each person is automatically guilty when you look at socialism and communism being rolled out in the USSR or any other communist nation you see that people were swept up and taken to gulags by the millions and disappeared for for no crimes whatsoever but because of their political association if their neighbor if their their stories the gulag Arch- archipelago of People turning in their neighbors. They're turning in their neighbors because their neighbor is turning off the radio broadcast before the end of Stalin's speech or Lenin's speech. They turn in their neighbors to the the Gestapo, to the secret police. And what happens a couple weeks later? The neighbor gets picked up and brought in as well. Why? Because of the relational association. You're guilty by association, not because of your own merit, not because you are innocent until proven guilty. And I think this is really what is happening when we, we look at the situation with former President Donald Trump. It is, they uh, he is guilty, 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 until somehow proven innocent. But because we already believe he is a horrible, evil man who is probably worse than Hitler, as the, the left loves to say, he is, he is instantly guilty, of course. Espionage is probably one of the least amount of things that he's actually guilty of. So why, why wouldn't he be guilty of this as well? A trigger word that the progressives love to use when it comes to making wrong things right is the word fairness or the or the word equity. Now, there's a difference between equity and equality. So a standard definition is equality means that each individual or group of people is given the same resources or opportunity. Equity recognizes that each person has different circumstances and allocates the exact resources and opportunities needed to reach an equal outcome. So equality is an equal opportunity for all. Equity is trying to manufacture in society equal outcomes, which is just impossible. It is absolutely impossible. How, how are you going to get equal outcomes? Women live longer than men. Should we euthanize women at the average age that men normally die? Is that, is that how we're going to get an equal outcome? People who live near water live 10% longer than those who are in landlocked places. How are we going to make that an equitable situation? The firstborn child makes more, 40% more than the secondborn child. Are we going to, how are we going to make that equitable? But they like to use these words like fairness or equality. And they're making these moral arguments, trying to make moral arguments using sly wording in order to get what they want. One of the things that they want is the redistribution of wealth. Believing that we should tax the rich, take from the rich and give to the poor. And the way that they do that, they say, well, we live in a democracy and therefore it's fair if there's three of us. And you have all the money. And then there's me. I'm broke, let's say. And let's say we have a scary Rambo guy over here who's also broke, Sylvester Stallone. And we put it to a vote. And the vote comes out two to one. We are the majority, Rambo and I, that we should take your money and redistribute it to ourselves so that we have an equal outcome. You say no way, I worked hard for this money. I saved this money. I invested this money. We say ah no. See this is this is fair. This is democracy. We voted on it and then we go and beat you up and steal your money. But it's fair. Why is it fair? Because we called it fair because we labeled democracy on it because we 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 had a majority rule. But that's not fair. That's theft. Just because someone agrees that we should rob someone and take their money doesn't change the fact that it is still theft. It is still fa- theft. But in in Marxist ideology, it's not just Marxism, it's it's postmodern postmodern thinking. It is not about right or wrong, guilt or innocence. It is all about Pushing forward the party line. It is okay if you lie for the sake of the party. It is okay if you cheat, steal, and, and use violence for the sake of the movement. And you, you see that all across leftist uh, protests. People blatantly calling for the use of violence, that we need to hit the streets and use violence and force if necessary. And it's, of course, it's getting to the place where it must be necessary to protect women's rights. But in Marxism, it is all about power. It's about power between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, the the, the 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 patriarchy, the tyrannical patriarchy, and the those who fall underneath the intersection of intersectionality. The more letters you have at the end of your name of the LGBTQ plus AI alphabet, the more of a victim you are, and the more the more real your truth actually is. So in order to make equitable these unequal things, we must use force. We must take power and use our power to oppress people to make the situation equitable. Essentially saying that the ends justify the means, but we know We know that the ends do not justify the means. Thomas Aquinas, when he talks about morality and and what makes something moral, an action moral or immoral, one of the things, one of the points that he says is that the ends must align with the means and the means must align with the ends and the ends do not ever justify the means. But here we have a a worldview that says the ends justify the means. And if we need to usurp power and use power to oppress people until we have an equitable arrangement, well, that's what we need to do. And that's okay. And that's good. It's a good use of power. And they use the word fair. So what are some of the, the, the arguments that... Marxists, leftists, progressives—whatever you want to put the label on it—makes, and this is going to a deeper, a deeper place beyond just kind of the, the surface level arguments of progressivism because it's a, it's a dangerous ideology for many different reasons. One of the big ones, as you probably know, is they want wealth redistribution, tax the rich, the wealthy need to pay, the, pay their fair share, but. We believe and we know that if you don't work, you don't eat, and that a laborer is due his wages, his or her wages, that the farmer, the hardworking farmer is due his wages and the first fruits of his crops. Now, of course, there are people who legitimately can't work. The question then goes to, well, what about, what about the people who can't work? well, we should take care of them. This is why we have something called charity. And charity comes out of the generosity of individuals' hearts to then help people. That's charity. The argument, however, goes is, well, people aren't, people aren't being generous. People aren't being generous. And therefore, we need the government to step in and enforce generosity upon people. We need the government to come in and take money and create bureaucratic systems to then redistribute that money. We're going to call it, we're going to say, because the system's not working perfectly, we are going to do something that is immoral because someone else is doing something that's immoral. In in the, the thought that this will actually change or help or fix society, but generosity is something that an individual chooses to do out of the, the gratitude and the gratefulness of their own heart. We ought to give gratefully, not have someone take our money begrudgingly in the name of, of good works. It doesn't work that way. That's not how society ought to function. But the, many times, in, in the place where we know that the world is not perfect, I've heard people make immoral arguments to try to come to a moral outcome. And it will never work. It will never work. Another big one that uh, progressives like to push is quote-unquote public education. Now, anytime you see the word public, all you have to do is replace the word public with government, and the picture will become much more clear to you. If we if we endorse Government education, that sits a little different in our, in our spirit, in our stomach. But education, in the place of education, the rightful domain and society of education, it falls underneath private institutions that are led by the parents and led by the family. The, it, education falls underneath the, the realm, the domain of society of the family unit, not of the government. But Marx, and this is straight from the Communist Manifesto, and read this. Point number 10 that he wants early on in the, the Communist Manifesto, among, among other things, like, let me scroll up to it for a moment. Among other things said in the Communist Manifesto, Manifesto the, the few points, starts with abolish property and land, application of all rent rents of land to public purposes, have a heavy progressive or graduated income tax, which is what we have in America, abolish all rights of inheritance, which through tax laws, it is increasingly harder to pass down inheritances and they're heavily taxed, confiscation of all property of immigrants and rebels, centralization of credit in the hands of the state, centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state, goes on to free education for all children in public schools. This is, this is their goal. And if you, if you go on to continue to read the communist manifesto, there's a, a, a a section where they detail, what is the, what is the confession of a, of a communist, of a socialist, of a Marxist? And what are the questions that, you would ask and what are the responses of a a typical marxist and one of the questions is what will be your first measure once you have established democracy once you have a democracy in the land what are you going to push for well the answer would be to guarantee the subsistence of the proletariat so the proletariat is the working class to guarantee that they are able to be sustained that we will redistribute the wealth, and the land to the people, but it's actually not gi- being given to people, it's being given to government, and then government controls everything. So instead of individuals in, in, in a quote-unquote capitalist uh, worldview, which really isn't even a capitalist worldview, it is in a worldview of liberty and freedom, it is the individual who has domain over their domain over their person, over their belongings. But in a leftist, progressivist worldview, it is the government who's your dad. The government is your daddy. The government is the one that says what is right and what is wrong. Not God, not you, the government. And the government ought to own you. The government ought to own your land. The government and society. They Again, they use the word public and society because it sounds better it feels better but society owns your children not you society is responsible for your children not you as parents so the next question is how will you do this how will you guarantee this is straight from the communist manifesto the answer is of a of a good marxist a good commie by limiting private property in such a way that it gradually prepares the way for its transformation into social property, a.k.a. government property. And we'll do this by progressive taxation, the limitation of the rights of inheritance in favor of the state, a.k.a. when people pass away, they can't pass on their wealth to their children. Instead, the wealth goes to the state. My, my, my. Number Point number two under this question, how will we do this? by employing workers in national workshops factories and on national estates aka grow the government grow the government and have the government continue to step into private sector into business so that the government and business realms become merged and the public sector of biz, of of government is now actually functioning like private owned corporations and private owned businesses where the government essentially takes over everything and there's centralized power and centralized control. And here is the real kicker. The last point that they see that the, of the first thing that they want to do to bring about the socialist revolution. What is it? By educating all children at the expense of the state. follow-up question from that, according to the Communist Manifesto, is how will you arrange this kind of education during the period of transition? This is the period of transition is when you haven't reached your full-blown communist socialist dystopia, but you're trying to enforce that. You're trying to bring it about. what, What are you going to do? How are you going to do that? The answer is All children will be educated in state establishments from the time when they can do without the first maternal care. In other words, as soon as a child is able to be independent from its mother, we are going to sweep them off into government education facilities, aka public schools. Because if we can break the bond, the familiar bond between between the, the family, then we can destroy inheritance. We can cause uh, people not to be able to re- be reliant on themselves and their family, but they'll be forced to be reliant on their, the state. They'll be forced to turn for us for help. And if they need to turn for to us for help, we can control them. Because if you need the government, if you need, and it's not even the government, if you need someone to, to help you, And you're beholden to them, and they have power over your life. That in a moment, they can take everything that you have away from you because you are living on their land. You're living on the society's land. Well, then instantly you can't criticize because you set up a law that says, "Hey, there's no criticism. There's there's no pushing back against us. If you do, we will take everything that you have away from us." And slowly, but actually very quickly. Deteriorates all sorts of liberty and freedom and critical thought. Because here's the thing: if you want to have critical thought, you have to have a freedom of thought. To be able to think critically, you have to be able to to, to be able to think critically. You have to be able to think freely. In order to think freely, you have to be able to talk freely. So, freedom of speech is the foundational value for freedom of thought. Freedom of thought is needed for critical thinking. And critical thinking is needed for for freedom of belief, or maybe the other way around, excuse me. If you want to have freedom of belief, you have to have freedom of thought, which means you have to have freedom of speech. But in these Marxist societies, they do not want their people to think, they want their people to be dependent on the government. They do not want their people to think. They do not want their people to speak because these are all dangerous, dangerous tools and weapons. Now, the arguments that I have heard people who are not clear on where the bounds of society lies, and they're kind of in the in the valley of decision. I don't, I don't really know what I think. I mean, I think kids should All all kids should have a good education. So, yeah, I I think that yeah, I think that public schools are good. Yeah, the government government does have a a responsibility to educate all the children in their country. I mean, someone has to do it, and if the parents aren't doing it, well, then someone has to step up, and it ought to be the government. I mean, who else is going to do it? So we begin to make compromises, and we give to begin to give over what is our responsibility to carry, we abdicate that responsibility and we give it to the state. We give it to someone else. And when we give and we abdicate what is our responsibility to someone else, bad things happen in every circumstance. If you are the leader of a company and you begin to abdicate your responsibility rather than taking responsibility and ownership over your own company, bad things will begin to happen to your company. If you walk into a room that you're supposed to be leading but you're not leading clearly you're not leading firmly you're not setting vision and direction and purpose at every single moment but you're wishy-washy people begin to feel uncomfortable people begin to feel uncertain and they will begin to step up and try to usurp your power and usurp their your authority because they don't feel safe now when that happens within your family unit and your kids don't feel safe. Who, who's daddy? Is it government or is it school or, or, or my parents? And when people begin to abdicate their authority to the government, society begins to crumble. Family units begin to crumble. Another example of these making immoral arguments three leftists make a right. They don't actually, it's, it's from the saying, two wrongs don't make a right, but three lefts do. It's true. If you turn left three times, you've made right Um, three leftists. Another argument is, again, a a hot topic right now in America. It's the take on abortion. And again, they're using uh, clever wording. It's really misinformation. It's really uh, deceptive lies, such as abortion is health care. Abortion is not health care. It is the intentional taking of a human life. That's misinformation. Abortion is is really kindness. It's actually quite merciful. It's maybe the most merciful thing that you can do. No, it's the intentional taking of a human life. Ah, it's just a clump of cells. It's not a human. Well, we all believe, maybe we actually, actually we don't all believe because actually there are many people who don't believe. There's many people who believe that we are still, that you as you are listening to this show and I as I am are just a sack of chemicals and we are nothing special. We're nothing special. There's many people who believe that. But the majority of humanity believes and ascertains and holds that we are something special, that human life is something special, is something valuable, something to be cherished. So what is that special? When does that special moment happen? At what point, all of a sudden, is human is is value assigned to a human being? At what point? Does the human worth become something that's worthy and valuable? At what point in our journey? Is it when you become a productive member of society? Is it when you're, you're finally potty trained? When you can read? When is it? When is it? And if it's not at the point of conception, then when? Because biologists, 95% of biologists across the world agree that life begins at conception. Now, biologists, they study life. But, man, it's just a clump of cells. You're not really doing any harm. It's a clump of cells. Another argument that they make is, well, what about the 14-year-old girl who was raped? It's cruel to for- force her to carry the baby. Oh, it's so cruel. We can't, we can't do that. And I would never give up my baby. But I can't stop someone else from giving up theirs. That, that would be wrong. No, what's wrong is killing, intentionally taking an innocent life. Two wrongs do not make the right. A a wrong, a wrong of rape is not made right by the intentional taking of a human life. That does not solve the situation. Just as the wrong of someone not being generous with what they've been given, with someone not being generous with their wealth, is not made right by theft and taking from them by force. It doesn't make the situation correct. So in order to defeat these moral arguments, we have to stand up and show how these arguments that are being made are effectively immoral. That is the way that we win this battle. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we have exchanged truth for lies and reason for post-modern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Of course, we've been talking about post-modern irrationality the majority of this podcast, including with the irrationality of of uh, leftist agendas. Uh, but here's this new study that's out about monkeypox. Now we've avoided the conversation of monkeypox up to this point on the show, as it's just it just feels like kind of drivel after years of being bombarded by fearmongering of of uh, global pandemics and the the insanity that ensued. You probably remember that many many people. I'm sure it's millions of people probably millions of people, lost their jobs because they decided they were not going to take an experimental drug. Millions of people. And billions of people were coerced into taking it under fear of losing their livelihood, under fear of not being able to leave their house, under fear of being labeled and fear-mongered as it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Do you remember this? Do you remember the pandemic of the unvaccinated? I remember the pandemic of the unvaccinated and how it was, if you didn't wear a mask, you were killing grandma. Masks that work only 70% of the time when worn properly, but the issue is no one ever wore them properly. The way that you had to properly wear a mask is you you put it on and you can never touch the mask or your face and it has to be completely sealed. And when you take it off, you got to throw it in the trash. I don't know anyone who did that. I'm sure there's people out there who did that. But no, you're fiddling with it, you're itching it, you're taking it off, you're coughing in it, you're moving your hand, you're touching it, and then you're touching something else. So if 70% of the time when it was worn properly, it worked, well, what happens when people aren't using it properly? Guess what? It doesn't work. That's what it is. Remember how we were locked up in our houses? People couldn't see, in America, people couldn't see their dying relative in the hospital. Family members, you're barred from visiting grandma and grandpa in the nursing home. The the overstep, the catastrophe, the man-made catastrophe that crippled the global economy because of choices of leadership across the globe to follow this narrative to to look at only one side of the science there's and we covered this before there's a study uh, an article that came out I, I didn't reference it here in the show notes but that the way that the 6 foot social distancing came about was from a study on influenza which showed that Influenza can spread up to 10 feet. And so you need 10 foot distance. But the way that it became six foot, they said, well, people can't really conceptualize 10 feet. That's pretty far away. All of society would pretty much literally shut down. Let's make it six feet and call it following the science when it's really not following any science. There's no science behind it. But you just take take for a moment and remember what was done to us. The way that people were bludgeoned because they're like, this is, said, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be coerced and forced into this, but we were, we were locked up. Well, here we have monkeypox. Well, it's a different story because monkeypox affects the LGBTQ uh, divine community. You know, as they say, to be trans is to be divine. And uh, you can't say anything against that community. Because if you do, you're homophobic. You can't say anything factual. You can't say anything that's actually related to public health. Because if you do, you will be labeled homophobic, which is probably the worst crime uh, known to man. Well, if you are are listening with kids around, yeah, you might want to pause this and finish later, as uh, this article by NBC can be a little graphic. Well. We'll sand the edges off for the sake of the show. Here's the beginning of this article. The title, Sex Between Men, Not Skin Contact, is Fueling Monkeypox." Pox, New Research Suggests. Since the outset of the global monkey pox outbreak, in May, public health and infectious disease experts have told the public that the virus is largely transmitted through skin-to-skin contact particularly during sex with, between men now however an expanding cadre of experts has come to believe that sex between men itself both you know the way that men have sex is likely to be the main driver of global monkeypox transmission the skin contact that comes with sex These experts say is probably much less of a risk factor. One doctor, Dr. Hazra, says a growing body of evidence supports that sexual transmission, particularly through fluids, is occurring with the current monkeypox outbreak. Referring to the fact that recent studies show that the virus is found in in men's semen. It goes on to say, Alan Blitz says, it looks very clear to us that this is an infection that is transmitted sexually the vast majority of the time. Now, this is where it totally falls into the, yeah, that makes sense segment of the show of complete irrationality. Do you remember when the globe was locked up and and people were told you can't go for a walk? If you do, you're going to get arrested. You remember when people were at the beach swimming with no one around them. And the police would come by and pick pick them up because they were they were swimming and a public risk. Putting millions at risk because you're swimming on a beach with no one around you. You got to get arrested. Sorry, son. Do you, do you remember the lengths that they went to lock up the healthy and general population for a disease that has a 99.97% survival rate? And the only real people were at risk with those with comorbidities, the elderly, and that's it. But if you were a normal, healthy person between the ages of zero and 59 probably going to be okay. No, we're going to lock down the entire globe. So wouldn't you think that now we would look and say, wow, there is a an outbreak between a very specific certain demographic of men and the study is clear, it's, it, the science is in, we're going to follow the science guys, stop having orgies. Maybe that should be the guidance. Maybe the CDC and the WHO should come out and say, um, it's probably best that you stop having orgies, that you stop sleeping around with one another. It's probably a good idea. No, you can't say that. Mm -mm, That's infringing on people's personal, personal lives. You know, we couldn't possibly say that. We need to, we need to be careful because that could come across, you know, We follow the science on that one. We could come across as homophobic. Well, this is exactly what some other doctors are saying. Completely reading the situation as uniquely due to men having sex with one another, that's my parentheses, is highly likely to be overreach. The correlation may appear strong, but that does not explain the whole picture of the disease caused by this virus. So we need to keep an open mind. Ah, Open minds. At this point, says Dr. Paul Adamson, an infectious disease specialist at the UCLA School of Medicine. UCLA, it's a school of very progressive liberalism. So, of course, this next sentence is uh, one that would make sense. I'm not sure that we can say is primarily the sexual transmission and not the skin to skin contact that occurs during sex that's contributing to the most transmissions during this current outbreak. However, emergency emerging data seems to suggest that the monkeypox might be more efficiently transmitted sexually, aka we don't want to warn people in a specific community and in a specific lifestyle that the actions that you are taking in your bedroom is leading to this this, this outbreak across the globe. No, instead, they want to generalize it. They want to say, ah, any sort of skin contact, we can't localize it to where the real problem is. Why? Why can't we do that? Remember, we locked up billions of people across the globe. Why can't we say where the real problem is and advise people to say, maybe you need to change your lifestyle and habits because there is this horrible disease going around? Well, here is uh, towards the end of the article, Two more quotes. Clausen, another doctor, says if we accept that this is how it spreads, we know how to reduce the spread by awareness and education and encouraging people for a time, for the time being, to reduce sex with multiple partners until they get vaccinated. Klausner said, and if they can't reduce the behavior, try to use a condom. But this is this is <laughs> said so lightly and kindly. What happened to to People, do you remember, do you remember in Australia where people got arrested in their homes because they posted about going to, a, they're going to go to a concert in a few weeks time. And that was breaking the, the protocols or the law and encouraging people to break rules. People were arrested for that. Do, do you remember how people were told to wear masks in houses but now i got to be careful we know how this thing's spreading we actually know how it's spreading harvard another upstanding institution my how harvard is falling no harvard was founded founded as a, a christian seminary It's now fallen far from that. Harvard's Lao Tzu Alan Blitz acknowledged the pervasive concern that telling the public that monkeypox transmits sexually among gay men will fuel homophobia. (laughs) That's it. There it is. That's the whole reason. It's ideology. Just as so many people believe that it was ideology that fueled the way the the CDC and the WHO and every government overstepped and overreacted not every government there were some governments who did not take those oversteps and like you no, we're just gonna let this roll we're not gonna destroy our economy over it he said there is however a cost to being kept quiet about how the virus apparently is transmitted this keeps people at risk from best understanding how to protect themselves which is true i find it deeply deeply ironic and infuriating, really, if you can't tell, that for two years, we were all bludgeoned with fear-mongering over something that was like the flu, that had a 99% survival rate, that people lost their jobs because they, they didn't want to take a shot. And now, here we are, with these same organizations, unable to say, to stop having sex with men, gay men. They're unable to say it. They're unable to come out and say it because it will be such an affront to the LGBTQ movement and agenda, because there's such an embracing of, of moral relativity. And it would be a affront to these people and it'd be called homophobic, and they can't possibly be that. They can lock up the, the normal person. But they can't tell someone that this pandemic, this this virus, is spreading through gay sex. It's just it's infuriating. Again, three lefts, three lefts make right. three leftists I guess don't. They just bludgeon people into believing their their own ideology. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. This is a value for value podcast. As you can tell, we don't have advertisers here on the show. Rather, we thank you who give to the show on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. And some of the ways that you can give value back to the show and the value that you have received value is by visiting lucasscrobotskrobot.com backslash support. And you can give your hard, cold fiat there. Or if you like the Bitcoin's, You can listen on apps like Breeze or Sphinx, and you can stream micro-payments, micro-currencies of Satoshis as you listen. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so we can own our future and weave our destiny. Well, today's segment is about leadership and what leadership, good leadership is and what good leadership isn't. Now, leadership, let's start with what it's not. It's not about creating a strict system of adherence. Now, we we like to do that. We like to build systems that six sigma, that everything is perfectly in line with no variation, no deviation, which we know exactly the steps that everyone must follow. And if you follow these steps perfectly, then you will be accepted. Then you will be good. Then you will have checked all the boxes. We like to build these systems of strict adherence. But there is coming, this is a, there is coming a day where right now, when we look at, as we've been discussing, when we look at the pervasive amorality, where we say there is no, there is no such thing as morals, that is a system of zero adherence. There's adherence to the talking points, and if you step out of that, if you step out of that Ideology by one iota had people on the show in the early days where they would say things on the show, and then later they'd come back and be like, ah, i don't I don't know if I should post that. People will be upset if I say that. and ah, and it was brutal. It was brutal to have to deal with those guests, and I wasn't clear up on the front end. But they were so afraid of having having said something that stepped outside. Of their parties, talk track. But outside of that, that adherence is to an amoral worldview. Well, there is coming a day when a strict system of adherence will turn against this amoral worldview, and those the life of those who love liberty, freedom, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Freedom of belief, those who, who love that of their it love their independence, it will be far, far worse for that group of people once a strict system of adherence is put into place to crush, that will end up crushing this uh, this lifestyle, this debaucherous lifestyle of postmodern irrationality because there is a system that's coming that will crush it but it will actually be far it will bode far worse for the liberty freedom loving person so good leadership is not creating si- strict systems of adherence for everyone to follow rather leadership is creating bonds of relationship that ties people relationally and spiritually back to the memorials, to the testaments of what God has spoken and done for each and every one of us and for our forefathers going back to past generations. Good leadership is tying people back to the principles, the values, and the covenants that God has given us. Now, we in the Judeo-Christian worldview, the the line of Abrahamic faiths, we all believe Jews, Christians, Muslims alike, we all believe that there has been a revelation from the creator God to people of how we ought to live. There is there is a, a divine transcendent moral code and moral law that has been given. And with that, there have been covenants that we look throughout the holy scriptures in the Judeo-Christian worldview, there's been covenants between God and man. And it's leadership, good leadership in family or in any other sphere of society is helping tie people back to those memorials, to remember those things, those guiding principles, those guidestones of the past where we look back and we remember the, the character and the nature of of the creator that we follow, who he is and how we ought to respond, how we have that relationship with him. Because where the world is going, that is what will be required of leaders to continually teach, cast vision and unify those that we lead through relationship and trust, not through br- brute force or title. Because brute force and title, that is building the, the systems That we all hate. That's not how we want to be led. That's not how families want to be led. We often find ourselves rebelling against those brute force systems. Instead, what we want and what we need and what people need is to be led through casting vision, through bringing correction and teaching by tying tying ourselves back to those foundational principles and those foundational values that guide us all into the vision of the future. And and because the way, the, the, where, where we are going in the world, we can't just have systems of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Because all of those, if we build just based on systems, those things will break. When the shakings come, those things will be- break when the new world order is established. Those are all going to be thrown out the window and people are going to be left reeling, trying to figure out, well, then where do I fit? Who am I? How do I live? Because the future is going to look different than present day. The coming 10, 20 years will look very different than it does today. We know that the world is changing. So, first, we have to do that with ourselves. We have to continually tie ourselves back to values and principles as we lead our own life. We are leaders in our own life. And if we can't lead our own life, how can we expect to lead our families and our children? So then we have a responsibility as the circles widen. We lead ourselves through correction, edification, for for teaching, continually putting uh, vision before us and continually remembering the, the memorials, the the covenants of the past. And then is with our family. It's setting up uh, cultural pillars of saying, this is who we are. People like us do things like this. People in our family, this is the way that we behave. Why? Because this is the vision for your life. This is who you are. You are a leader. We don't want to behave selfishly or rudely because you're called to lead people. And if you're called to lead people, you need to gain people's trust. So how then ought you act now so that when you're a young leader, you're able to gain people's trust? And then as the, the circle expands, we, we will in time, as we are faithful to steward our families and ourselves, we'll be given responsibilities to serve because leadership is service. Leadership is service to serve our communities to help our communities in times of need. But if we can't keep the vision for ourselves personally, if we can't bring to remembrance and stay sober-minded about who we are and what we're called to, if we can't lead our families, then what makes us think we can lead a city? Because once, once you're at the point of trying to lead a city, <laughs> you're probably you're probably going to have a majority of people against you because there's always going to be people who either don't like what you're doing, don't like the direction that you're going, and or they're gunning for your position. They're gunning for their job. They want the position that you have because they can't see that leadership is service. And when we're leading healthily, we're serving the people that we are leaving. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I appreciate it. And I hope you get value out of it. If you have any questions, you can find me over on the Instagram and, or you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. Remember two wrongs do not make a right. When you're battling against those arguments, always bring it back to what is true morality, true ethics. And finally, go out and be the leader that you are so that you can own your future.